day the team will be hunched over a table using a microscope to look at a picture and then painstakingly scraping away 500 years of grime and over-painting. On a good day, one postage stamp's worth of image would emerge. You know, if you can restore just one postage stamp of the paint, it was considered a good day. Finally, in 1999, when Da Vinci's brush strokes were finally revealed, her team's meticulous, mind-numbing labour found its reward. The gloomy shadows were banished, and appeared before them was a well-lit banquet hall. Now Peter's beard and nose were free of the clumsy weight. Matthew's hair turned from black to, brown, uh, to blonde. Thomas gained a left hand. Andrew's expression was transformed. He was no longer sullen, but astonished. And on Jesus' face, he glowed a new light after all the dingy repaintings were removed. So after centuries of murky obscurity, Restoration has brought to light the original beauty of the artist's masterful portrayal of the facial expressions and the body language of Christ and his disciples. Today, when we talk about Christ and culture, you know, what has it got to do with this painting, art restoring? You know, in uh, Ephesians 2, Paul says that we are God's masterpiece. We are his artwork. And when we share the gospel, essentially that is what we are doing. We are restoring an art piece. God has placed His image in humanity and that has been marred by sin. And so with the gospel, this image is being restored. But the gospel isn't just, you know, I believe and I have a ticket to heaven and that's it, you know, I'm just waiting to die so I can go to heaven and see God. It's about living out the gospel in this world so that we gradually allow people to, 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 to um, explore and to show this image of God in them. When we show love, you know, when we create conditions for for them to flourish in their workplaces, in their homes. Or when we show mercy and kindness, these are ways when we give dignity to, to others, these are ways we allow them to fully express or express the image of God in, in, in them in a fuller way. And so, when we talk about Christ and culture, ultimately, that is, we need to bear in mind, that is what we are trying to do. Of course, you know, when we talk about culture, what is culture? So, just a brief recap. And Clive was, Dr. Clive was here, Clive Chin, he gave us a definition, right? Basically, it's, it's how people behave or choose because of their underlying values. And then he showed us this iceberg, right? The tip is all the, the choices and behavior that we observe, but beneath, what is the values? What are their worldviews? And culture is important. I mean, we can have good vision, um, direction, but ultimately the culture affects whether we're able to achieve those. Remember recently <clears throat> when the MRT CEO stepped down, right? he took over a few years and then he says that, you know, I can't change anything even the new vision because there are deep-seated bad culture within pockets of the company. And so we see that culture affects, you know, how, how we pursue our vision and direction. So I know we, have, we spent a long time listening to sermons today, so I'd like to give you a time to talk, okay? Basically, when you think about QBC, okay, what do you think is our culture? Okay, spend about five, ten minutes, uh, maybe five minutes, okay? Discuss with the person beside you. What is QBC's culture?
You have two more minutes, okay? All right. Now, all of us, of course, we experience the culture a bit differently. Um, you know, right now, the Journey series is how we try to change culture too, right? We have this vision of what to do, then the core values, and then we try to change culture by getting you to stay back for an extra hour, get used to it. And also that, you know, in future with other classes, you're sort of getting used to it. So this is part of culture change, okay? And each of us, we have little pockets of the church, we have different experiences. I'll just share a bit on what I've heard uh, from outsiders. You see, I usually try to meet up with new friends. Uh, if I see them in church, I'll make an appointment, have coffee with them. And so the, the most frequent feedback I get from newcomers is usually that uh, the church is very warm. Which is true, you know, five years ago when I came, I, I, that's what I felt about QBC. Okay, um, so that's part of our culture, right? Although our focus on next gen and community outreach and all these, but it's true, you know, deep down, the culture is a warm culture. Um, we have also heard a lot of comments from other Baptist churches um, to approach us asking, how do you raise leaders like this and this so and so and so and so, you know? And they're not referring to the pastors, right? And that's what I observed too, that there are many servant leaders in our midst. We, you know, a part of our vision is to raise servant leaders, but as I observe and I look around, we actually have a lot of models of this to the extent that, you know, we have other churches asking us, how do we do it? And we look at ourselves and we wonder, I don't know, you know? Um... But that's part of who we are, right? Culture. Uh, for me, something I observe is what Augustine has said. You know, Augustine said that this is famous saying, he says, um, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And personally, uh, that's what I've experienced at, at, at our church. You know, when it comes to what we believe, there's emphasis of unity in the essentials. But there are a lot of non-essentials and we are more open about it. But ultimately, whether you, it's uh, in all things, we practice charity, which is love. Um, it's something that I appreciate about the culture that we have here. Alright, so, let's jump over a bit to, just a recap again, Genesis 1-8, where we get a cultural mandate. We say the first mandate, right? God gave three mandate. Cultural mandate, great commission, and the greatest commandment. Um, in Genesis 1-2, God told Adam and Eve to really fill the world, multiply, you know, and, and have dominion over the world. 
to represent him as co-regent uh, in his creation. That's what he has called, he called us to do. And so if you remember this image, I think in January I shared it, really is to multiply, fill the earth, fill God's creation with his image. Right? If everyone is image bearer and you multiply and fill the world and have dominion over it, essentially this is what you're doing, filling God's creation with his, the glory of his image. When you talk about the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, what is the end point of discipleship? Is it to have somebody be able to memorize scripture, share the gospel? The end point of discipleship, of our discipleship process is Christ-likeness, okay? That we be more Christ-like. And when we are more Christ-like, we manifest more of God's image. And so really the Great Commission, in the essence of it, is to go into the world, make disciples. Why? Well, so that the world, God's creation will be filled with His image, by the glory of His image. And so if you see what God is doing throughout time, from the beginning, he gave this, the, the creation mandate, which is, you know, fill the world with his image. But there was fall. The fall of humanity, there was sin. The image of God on us is being marred, even though we still bear it. Then Christ came. Because of the gospel, there's a new humanity. Now, who is the new humanity? Who? The church. You and I, right? Second Corinthians 5, we are a new creation. Another, a better translation is we are a new, hu- new human, new humanity. Okay, um, to fill the world with, his, with, with, with God's image. So really, God is just doing one thing, right? Filling the world with His image. And ultimately, when He comes again, a new heaven and earth, it will be manifest to the fullest extent, the glory of God throughout His creation. And if God is doing this thing, I think we ought to get uh, into what He's doing, to understand what He's doing, to align our lives to that. And so, we want to do that. Those will all just recap. How do we do it? Right? When we look at culture, how do we de- determine, how do we engage the culture? This model is by David Platt. Um, if you did your DG material, I think the second one or the first one, you probably came across this model. What are we doing is to move from an anthropocentric culture to a theocentric culture. In our church retreat, Dr. Chia introduced this concept to us. And to me, that was a great takeaway for, for me, okay? We want to do this cultural thing, right? But what are we really trying to do? is to move from a man-centric culture to a God-centric culture. And there's this model, different ways of engaging culture. If you view culture as negative and you're active about it, we have this combative stance, approach. I'm combating the culture. For example, uh, the Pink Dot Movement, right? We view it as bad. And so, when Love Singapore first started, they're engaging them in the political arena and their stance towards engaging culture was combative. We're against it, and they are wrong. And we think about it, well, you know, we talk about freedom, right? Equality. But really, where do we get this concept of equality? Why do everybody deserve to be equal? Is it because they observe it from the natural world? Is there equality in the natural world? Right, you put a wolf beside a sheep, what happens? I mean, the wolf eats the sheep all the time, right? Every time, is it, is it fair for the, the sheep? Is it equal? No. So where did, in the world did we get this concept of equality? Is it simply your fanciful idea versus mine? If it is, then we, we end up being the rule of the mob, right? Whoever believes, the more the people believe in this thing, we are right. And you know what happens? Hong Kong happens. Look at what is happening now. It's going by rule of the mob because 
Now, I'm not saying what is right or wrong, but I'm saying that when we have no absolute value of right and wrong, then it's your belief versus mine, and it's just a matter of how many more people stand on my side. So where do we get this concept of equality? Is it from nature? Well, it's not certainly not from different religions, right? From our background, we believe that this life, um, not our background, meaning um, not from a Chinese background, in this life, we reincarnated from the previous. And so, you know, whatever happens in this life, I deserved it. It's because of what I did in my previous life. Hence, where comes the concept of equality? So until and unless we understand that the dignity of man, the value of humans are imparted, they are not subject or subjective to different groups, then there's no absolute measure of, of equality, no absolute measure of justice. And hence, if these are concepts we like, justice, equality, we have to ask ourselves, where did that come from? And so going back to this stance about engaging culture, a combative stance would be to say that I think this culture is bad, everything is bad, and I, I'm against it, I'm going to fight it. That's one approach. Next, David Platt calls this the, the checked out mentality. Um, we are passive and we think negative view of culture, but we accept it passively. Ah, yeah, the Tidapa concept, right? It's like, none of my business, you know. Whatever happens out there is okay. It's not every Sunday we get to come here and worship and kumbaya and that's great. Oh, it could be checked out because you simply have no hope. It's like, ah, the world is just going down the chutes, you know. There's nothing I can do and so let's just protect ourselves. And that was what happened in the 1920s in the US, right? After the fundamentalist divide. Um, the churches withdrew because they felt attacked from different angles and so they gave up institutions, they call it secular institutions, withdrew from Harvard and what, what have you, and set up their own Bible schools and little enclaves to protect themselves. So it might be for a good reason. It may have positive uh, results. But the idea of it is they check out from culture because no hope already, you know. I can't fight you, I'm just going to withdraw. The third is to conform. Conform to it because, well, you know, you have a positive view of culture, not bad, you know, and we are passive, so we just follow along. For example, measures of success. What does it look like to be successful? Right? Big house, big car, big bank account, and that's what we pursue. And when we see people like that, that fits the mold in our minds, that is success. Maybe it is as we pursue this, then you realize that, oh, I need uh, more money to support the, the lifestyle we want and so we need dual income. And so we pursue that lifestyle. So every choice we make, you know, this sort of has ripples and other effects. Or when it comes to entertainment, you know, sex and violence uh, is part of the world and we conform to it, we accept that. That is conforming to the culture. And there's sometimes we need to have this approach and other times not. The final one, they say, to transform the culture, to understand, engage, and transform. Right? For example, the True Love Is, you know, the, the movement that they put up those uh, video testimonies of people who struggle with same-sex attraction and came out of it. This is a way of showing that, look, there's an alternative way to this lifestyle. And you know, last week, they were attacked, all right? Because someone photoshopped their, their banners, right, to, to talk about. Instead of conversations, it became conversions. And then it was put on social media and they were severely attacked um, by the Ping Dot movement people. 
But their, their way of looking at culture is not uh, to combat it in a combative stance, but to show that there's another way, an alternative. Okay, or when we think about the early church, um, no, not so early, but you know, like in Singapore, a lot of Christian schools, hospitals, uh, these were the efforts of the church to transform the culture, to say that while well, healthcare is important, let's get into this area. You know, like uh, women deserve equal education, so let's start school for that. So, so these are ways where people look at the culture, engage it by transformation. And so the question for us, I guess, um, I think different situations maybe require different approaches at a different time. The question is how do, which model do we adopt in our daily life? You know, Tim Keller said this, he says, if we have a thin view of sin, we will feel safe if we removed from our viewing anything that could tempt us to commit actions of avoid sexual immorality, profanity, dishonesty, or violence. We feel that by withdrawing from cultural influences, we may feel less sinful. But we are fooling ourselves. The complex nature of sin will still be at work, making idols out of good things in our lives and to make them the ultimate. Since a theologically correct view of sin sees it as a compulsive drive of the heart to produce idols, and this view should lead neither to withdrawal nor to uncritical consumption of the culture, but rather a humble, critical engagement. You see, if we understand sin um, in a shallow way, we think as long as I avoid them, I'm okay. And so we will either do the combative way, the checkout way. That's what we will do, right? Withdraw, and I'm fine. But if we truly understand the nature of sin, a theologically correct understanding, you know that the source of sin lies not in our environment, but in our hearts. You know, and in our hearts. And so, with that, we realize that even if we withdraw, we are bound to fall into sin. And hence, a better way is not to conform, which is to uncritically consume culture, or to combat, or to withdraw, but rather a humble engagement that works towards transformation. So, um, while there are different situations, I think, require different approaches, I mean, we have a slant towards transforming the culture. That is why in our vision we say impacting the community and beyond for Christ, right? Otherwise, you say, whatever happens uh, doesn't matter, you know, we just do what we want here. But clearly, right from the beginning, even in our mission state, vision statement, we believe that we need to transform the culture. Just some verses that we saw. Again, uh, Dr. Clive Chin, when I was here, he flashed some of these verses. In Jeremiah 29, talks about the Israelites being transplanted in Babylon. They wanted to go home, but God said, what? Since you're not going home, you're staying here for 70 years. And so, marry, have sons, daughters, find wives, you know, so that they can produce. Build houses, settle down, eat of what you produce. I mean, you, you plant and you bear fruit. It means it takes certain time, right, for the plant to grow up, bear fruit so you can eat. So, basically saying, stay there and contribute. Be part of the culture, but at the same time, increase and do not decrease meaning keep distinct. You get married, but you must increase, right? So keep distinct. Don't conform. Okay, seek peace and prosperity. So even in this verse itself, you see a, a different approaches towards culture. We are part of this place, but at the same time, there are certain things that we need to be distinct. And then in First Peter, it becomes clearer. First Peter talks to Christians, the church. Since I urge you as foreigners and exiles, while we are citizens in Singapore, or some of us are not, but 
The point is, whether you are citizen or not, our citizenship is in heaven. Now this does not mean that whatever happens in this place, we don't care. Right? It says as foreigners, even if you are citizens here, you to them, even if you have Roman citizenship, right, you are a foreigner, you are exiles. You are sojourning on earth. And so how do we remain distinct? He says, abstain for sinful desire. That's being against the culture. Do not just absorb, do not conform. When you do that, live, live, live such godly lives among them so that when they accuse you of wrongdoing, which they will still accuse you, they may see good deeds and glorify God on that day. It's just like when I saw those articles on True Love Is, right? I texted uh, Ian To. By the way, we are inviting him to be part of the sexuality series. Ian To of, uh, Pastor Ian To of the 316 Church, who came out with the True Love Is. You know, you read all the comments, I was thinking if these, these were directed at me, surely it doesn't feel good, right? But th- we are thankful of the statement that he released. You know, people will still accuse him of wrongdoing, but yet we live in such a way that they cannot deny how we do it. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as to the supreme authority or to governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. The problem is, what if those people, the governors, do not punish those who do wrong and command what, and, yet, and do not command those who do right? Which is somewhat like what we are seeing in Hong Kong, right? The people can no longer live within the system and, and you know, without saying what is right or wrong at this moment, we understand how they feel being in that situation. Say, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Finally, live as free people. In the context of slavery, say, live as free people. You're free, but do not use your freedom to sin. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honour the emperor who burns Christians. Yeah, that's right. Honour the emperor. Who is this emperor? Caesar. Whether, whether is it Nero or the guy before that, Claudius. You know, they burn Christians for fun, you know. So these are the environments they lived in. And that is how they, uh, Peter was looking at the culture and saying how we should respond. And even just reading this, we discern different models of approach. One is against the culture, not conforming. Another is conforming by submitting, you know, and yet being part of it and transforming the culture. It becomes clear in this passage on salt and light, right? When you're salt, you're preserving the culture, the immorality of the culture. When you're light, you shine light into darkness, you're trying to transform the culture. So just looking at these three verses very quickly, um, we go back to this model. We ask ourselves, right? Um, in different cultural issues, how do you view them? How do you engage them? Which approach do you take? A lot depends, I think, on the issue and the situation of, uh, that we find ourselves in. But it's a question, I think, you, it's important for you to discern. Are you those that is always combative? Anything in the world is no good or I check out because I withdraw to my own circle? Or how do you attempt to transform? Right, in your workplace, right, you say, talk about transforming culture. How do you do it? What, what are you doing attempting to transform culture? Let me go to this first. Um, in 1975, Bill Bright, the founder of uh, Campus Crusade, with the founder of Y-Wave, uh, Y-Wave, hey, not Y-Wave, YWAM, 
<laughs> Sorry, YWAM, right? They, they came up with this idea of seven spheres of how to influence the culture. You know, of course, some people will say that, oh, we try to control the world and take over the world, but that's not how I look at it. I think these are important spheres that God has placed each one of us in. And in, to the extent that we can transform and impact the area, I think it's a contribution to transforming the culture. So we talk about, um, like, government, right? Clearly, especially in Singapore, a lot of our, our, what we do is impacted by government policies. Someone I know was uh, overseeing the project of bringing the casinos into Singapore. And he was utterly against it. Right? All the research shows that we should not. But yeah, he knew there was something that was going to happen. So he had a choice. He asked himself, do I quit my job? Give it to somebody else? Or do I see it as the opportunity that God has placed me here as a Christian and somehow try to safeguard the impact and influence? So these are questions we need to ask. We talk about um, the media, uh, arts and entertainment. These have massive influence on our second generation. Right? The music that they produce, the, the films that they produce, uh, if they, are, they use drugs, sex, violence, you know, this is the pictures that our next generation will get. And when I mean next generation, a lot of us here are also impacted by those images that we see. And so not too long ago, I was uh, having lunch with Lucas Chow, because we are, tr- we are trying to invite him. He's our speaker for August, I think. August or September, I can't remember. Oh, September. So I, I had lunch with him to really talk about what to share about. what, And um, he, he shared, right, about when Love Singapore did a, a, a nationwide survey and they realized that really in this area of media and arts and entertainment, we don't have a Christian platform. And because of that, you know, he was asked to head a few organizations with other people. And so recently, in the last two years, you notice that there are um, those articles, online articles like Thirst, T-H-I-R.S-T, uh, Salt and Light. These were all birthed because of that nationwide survey. And Lucas was inf- involved in it because he realized that we need a platform for us. And then there's this Salt and Light theater, you know, somewhere, you know, so that you can bring Christian films into Singapore. Again, it's providing a platform for Christian artists to express our, view, our worldviews and what we believe. It is to read stories about local Christians uh, whose lives testify to God. Many times when I think about trying to find materials to share with you, testimonies, it's always overseas, you know, somebody else, because we do not have people writing about local Christians. Oh, does it mean that the church in Singapore is not doing anything? No. But we need people in those areas with the expertise and the connections and the network to be involved. Of course, we talk about business, you know, creating opportunity for employment, um, coming up with products, how we do it. And, and so these are different spheres which I want you to consider. Some of us are in the family spheres, right? I mean, our kids come to church, even the very hardcore ones, okay, the most, five to ten hours a week. And the rest of the time they spend in school and at home. Especially when they're younger, you know, they learn from us. And so even if your station of life in this season is in the family, it is crucially important if we want to talk about influencing the culture. So which, where has God placed you? And you ask yourself the question, how have I attempted to um, engage the culture and to transform it? And if you look at locally, especially if you're thinking about a church in a city like Singapore, these are some opportunities I think we have. Great opportunities. Let me quickly run through them. These four areas we must attempt to, to influence and impact. Okay, because of scheduling, last week you had that, 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 um, that, that, that 
the booths, right? And we got to see what we are doing. Actually, it would be better if they put it towards the end, okay? But we could not schedule it that way. But we talk about younger generation, apart from, of course, within the church, we are talking about the community. You know, we've been trying to reach out to the primary school, to the secondary school, to areas around our church to impact the next generation. Can we do more? Certainly. You know, we talk to the principals. They need help to, for people to sit by the kids to read with them. They need help every morning to knock on doors because the kids will not come to school. Even if the, the teachers go out and knock, you know, they get scolded by the parents. And we told them, let, let, give us something to pray about it, you know, in case we volunteer and every day we get scolded by parents. So, there's much more we can do, but this is certainly an area as we understand the models of cultural engagement is one area that we cannot give up. Talking about cultural elites, you know, the educators, the media and people, the you know, example is just like what Lucas did, right, when he was asked to head up the Chinese COH. And if you notice, you know, of all the COH um, sitting, I think the, the one with the best flow in terms of programming was the Chinese one. Because he has all the expertise and context, he could pull people together. And so that's an area that we want to impact, the universities. This is something we learned called the tipping point, right? When I was in the States, under Bush, right? Um, they held on to the, the position that they would defend marriage. And right after the next president came on board, the pendulum swung, all right? But I think about it, you know, are there really so many gay people there? Not really, right? It's just one, two percent. But they hit something called, we call a tipping point, enough to tip the whole culture over. And the people who influence the tipping point of are, are people who are the educators, the media, the arts, the businessmen. And so these are areas we want to consider prayerfully. How do we reach them? Are we doing reaching them in the first place and how? The third, accessible, unreached. People coming to Singapore to work. Old people who are stuck in their homes. Right, if you notice, God has been bringing all these different people groups around us with St. Andrews, right? Which is why we are interested in developing more work. And if you look at our outreach program during the week, most of the, the programs during the week are all the elderly people. That's the area we want to do. The poor, apart from Red Hill, food distribution. You know, the, if you don't know, the old polyclinic has been leased out, at least they have agreed principally to a homeless shelter, which means they're not too long um, down the road, we have a homeless shelter around the corner. Are we going to do something about it? So if you, if you analyze the culture, especially a, a church, um, like church in a city like Singapore, I think these are four areas that we want to consider. What work are we doing in the midst to transform the culture? And what more can we do? Finally, let me end with this. Sometimes it's not about, I think, the work that we do. You know, but, but God... If what's more important is, is, I think, the way we do it. And so in Micah 6, 8, God says, right, what, the, what does God require of us? It says, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly. It's not about which ministry we do or which people group we try to outreach or how we try to, or what we are doing to transform the culture, but it's the way we do it. Do you do justice? Do you love kindness? Do you walk humbly with God? And when we attempt to transform culture, God uses what we do. Like the art restorer I shared at the beginning. That is what we are doing, you know, restoring art pieces. Everyone has an image of God marked by sin. The gospel transforms them. Not just the gospel shared with them that they are saved and have a ticket to heaven, but living out the gospel 
creating an environment where your employees, your colleagues can flourish in their workplaces. Their homes can be more healthy. These are ways we allow them to express fully the image of God that is within them. Of course, ultimately, we still have to share the gospel. We cannot neglect that. I'd like to share this little snippet before I end. It's a story from this franchise called Chick-fil-A. One of my friends owns a franchise. Chick-fil-A is the fastest growing um, fast food in the U.S., and I told my wife, you know, before I came back, I said, if I'm coming back not to be a pastor, right, I'm going to bring this franchise to Singapore because I love eating it. You know, they don't open on Sunday, so sometimes I forget after church, I'm tired, I want to eat. I drive there and it's, ah, oh, alamak, I know come here, don't have. So I think about it, you know, ruminate until Monday morning. I'll drive down there to, to queue up and, and to eat the, the, the food that I've been thinking the whole day and then I find that, oh, there are many like-minded people. Anyway, I like Chick-fil-A. Okay, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. So my friend owns a few franchises there and he gets this email uh, last week and he says, it's from a veteran, okay? He, he sent an email to the headquarters of Chick-fil-A and he said, I want to thank you for having us on the tour. My children and I really enjoyed our time with Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A has a special meaning in my life. Like too many veterans, when I came back home from my last deployment and left the military, I struggled to adjust to my new life. When my wife left me, it all fell apart. I really hit a dark place. I ate my meals exclusively at Chick-fil-A. I was depressed. I ate for sustenance and nothing more. I hated people. I hated myself. Now, none of that mattered because every time I went to a restaurant, the staff was exceedingly kind. At first, I thought it was fake, that they were forced to be kind. Later, I learned it was sincere kindness that percolated from top down. It was literally the only place I felt welcome. It was the only place I felt like a real person again. I ate so many meals all alone, but I never felt like an outcast. One day, I decided to end my life. I wanted Chick-fil-A to be my last meal. I made a plan to take my own life. I went there to a local Chick-fil-A. I was convinced no one cared about me. I, I was convinced I didn't matter. I walked in. I got my greeting. I didn't care. I convinced myself that it was all fake. No one mattered, least of all me. Then something un unexpected happened. The cashier greeted me by my name. He remembered me. He knew I existed. He would know if I did not return. He cared about me. And it changed my life. It saved my life. And all he was doing was being kind to a stranger who ate too much chicken. Here's the thing, I've I, if I ever feel alone, I go to Chick-fil-A. I go for the good food, the warm greetings, or the kindness. I go for the appreciation that the staff is happy to see me. They're happy I'm spending my time there. And so this time I made a trip here. I never thought I'll be standing in Kathy Truett's office. That's the founder. He'll never know my story. He'll never know that the thing he created saved the life of a lost veteran, struggling to find a reason to live. He was just making a chicken sandwich, feeding his neighbor, taking care of his family. But he also saved my life. So you see, when we talk about engaging culture, transforming culture, it's not about the spectacular things we do. But it's how we do go about our daily lives. It was just an employee remembering the name of a customer and greeting him, and yet it, it saved his life. I think our God is a great God. As long as we are willing to walk with Him and allow Him to use our lives, you know, we can make an impact in the culture, wherever God has placed us. And that's the hope 
you know, without talking about the big vision that we have as a church, I think the desire really is for each one of us to respond to what God is doing and allow Him to use our lives to make a difference by how we go about our lives. Um, these are the questions, but before we go there, a little plug for this issue, uh, this, this series on sexuality. Um, again, this is part of culture making. Right? We're trying to make you stay back longer so that you're used to staying an extra hour and not rumble and grumble that you're hungry so that you can attend different courses and that's where we get more opportunities to, to shape you with the gospel and the Bible. Anyway, this course is uh, really, uh, we are working together with precepts and so they're very happy that, I, I heard that the books are selling the hotcakes today, you know. So bring more so that more of us can sign up. Um, but apart from precept classes, in between, you know, we will have some talks and that is, I mentioned earlier, um, like Pastor Ian Toh and different people, we'll invite them to share with us some of their thoughts. Okay, and so if you, you look, notice that can, right? A can of what? Can of worms. No, open up, is rainbow, you know, and then I think there's another third part coming. At the end of the rainbow, there's something, okay? I don't know what, but we'll wait. Okay, so sign up for the series. These are the questions you can break up to in your DGs to share. Thank you. Thank you.